new beginning. Welcome to the Grief Dreams Podcast. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in and just listening to the podcast. It means a lot to us. I know it means a lot to everyone else who comes on here and shares their story. Just to be heard, it's it's a beautiful thing. So hopefully this uh, this podcast and this episode is helping you through your life and making you think a little differently about who you are and uh, the people that you surround yourselves with. So today we have a special guest, as always. <laughs> oh, I should I should mention too. So my name is Dr. Joshua Black, if you use this is your first episode, and our co-host Sean Ram isn't available at this time, so I'm going to be doing this solo. So today on the podcast, we have Gregor Collins, uh, who is an author, speaker, actor, and contributor living in New York. He started his career in Los Angeles producing reality TV before shifting gears to acting, performing on stage, on television, and in independent feature films. His writing and acting have been featured in the Los Angeles Times, The Guardian, Huffington Post, Publishers Weekly, Cinema Editor Magazine, don't know that one, uh, and others, as well as Broadway stages across New York. Collins travels the globe with his memoir, The Accidental Caregiver, How I Met, Loved, and Lost Legendary Holocaust Refugee Maria Altman, sharing with audiences his experience caring for Altman, who was portrayed by Helen Mirren in the movie Woman in Gold. That came out in 2015. His newest book, released this year actually, is the part two of that. And it's basically saying yes to a world without Altman. So Collins also created and curates Humans in My Phone, an ongoing micro documentary series featuring the humans in his phone. To learn more, visit gregorcollins.com or follow him on Instagram at gregorcollins. So Gregor, welcome to the podcast. Dr. Black, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Hey, it's going to be a fun episode. Uh, when it's just me, like the, the party's all mine. So I'm really excited to uh, really just talk with you and really get to know who you are and how you, you came to be where you are and how Maria was a part of that. Because it seems to me to have met someone and write a book about them is very extraordinary. Because usually we write a book about our grief or something like that after a, like one of our family members pass. And I think this is the first time on the podcast someone wrote a book on someone that hasn't been their family. So this is really kind of really interesting for me to, to see sort of how one person in your life uh, outside your family can impact you so much to write not one, but two books <laughs> uh, about them. So um, I'm first. So one of the first questions I have is, you know, you said like you're an accidental caregiver. So when you guys met, were you was that your career because like in the beginning it was all about acting and performing and all that sort of stuff caregiving was that part of your career in the beginning or is it something that happened later on no it, it definitely wasn't um i i had come to hollywood to be an actor not a caregiver for sure and i actually started in reality tv so i, I produced reality tv around the time survivor was coming out and sort of around 2000 where it was a big boom in reality tv and so I did that for four or five years, and then I got tired of that and decided to become an actor. And then I became an actor and did that for a bit. And during my pursuit of acting, um, I got a call from an acting friend of mine who had answered an ad on Craigslist, and he was caring for this 92-year-old lady from Austria. And um, he he would tell me about her and almost like brag about how he was taking care of the most amazing woman on earth. And 
Um, it came out a few weeks later that they needed another caregiver and he's the only one I, I'm the only one he thought of. And, and he just sort of was like, I, I haven't called anybody else about this. Like you're, you're the one I trust you the most. I, I think, you know, you should, you should come on as one of her caregivers. I think you'll love her. And I was very reluctant at first thinking of myself as this artist and not this, you know, what, what I need an old lady. Like I need a hole in the head right now. I mean, come on, I, I have auditions and I'm, you know, all, all this self-important, self-obsessed BS. And I, um, so then I, I, I finally agreed to do it. And uh, meeting meeting Maria really, really set my life on an entirely different course than I had ever imagined. So, Yeah, what, a, what an interesting decision to make, because I think most people would have said, no, that's not what I'm here for. <laughs> that's not why I'm in Hollywood. Uh, I'm curious, so like, did you need, was there any kind of training you needed? Because like, when I think of caregiving, what comes to mind is like personal support work, stuff like that. And so mm -hmm. this job didn't need any kind of training like that? None, no training. The The only training it um, it really needed was somebody with an open mind and someone that would say yes. And it was almost required someone who wasn't a real certified caregiver because Maria was such a special lady that it was really like she needed the, the most um, genuine, tender, in the moment kind of love and conversation. And and it, it's like you wouldn't really get that from somebody with 30 years of caregiving experience. You, you might not, I should say, um, you know, you, it was more like I was this, you know, I was a passionate uh, actor and I was a creative person and I, I loved uh, art and I loved talking to people about art and and so immediately with her it was a combination of that passion I already had and me just really kind of falling in love with her at first sentence I mean she opened up her mouth and started talking this old Viennese that you just don't see anymore um, even you know young Austrians that I would speak to would be like you know Maria like she is special because we don't even hear that kind of German anymore so it, it was really like I, I was single at the time. I had no luck in love. I was this passionate guy that just loved to meet new people. And so it, it was just like this perfect, perfect storm of, um, of connection that, that here I was a 32 year old guy and she was this 92 year old Holocaust survivor. So we just connected. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's it's interesting too that your friend recommended you. So, like, what does your friend see in you, or what did he see in you for for you to be the one? It's always our friends that see the who we really are, and it's always other people. We, I mean, I never thought of my. We never think of ourselves as 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 our truth. Sometimes we think we think of ourselves as this sort of burden. Sometimes that we see every day, but like he saw me as this really like this guy that that. With him, I, I was always like with me, I'm fiercely uh, loyal to my friends and I'm always there for people. And especially in L.A., you meet a lot of people that say one thing and then don't do don't do it and don't follow up on it. And I was with Tom, at least I was always at his beck and call. I just loved the guy and I, and I was always there for him. So he, he equated that to somebody that would be there for, you know, this incredible woman. So. Wow. And, and he was an actor, too, which is interesting. So maybe, you know, for all those actors out there, this may be uh, something you want to consider as you move forward. Um, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, also actors, also actors aren't typically reliable. I mean, I can say that because 
you know, I, I was and am an actor, I guess, but you know, you know, which doesn't make sense because as an actor, you have to be like on time on set and you know, when they're going to be filming and when they're going to be shooting, you, you gotta, you gotta be there. And so on run respect, like actors have to be on time with everything, but you know, most every actor that I knew was kind of flaky and, and, you know, not like I was. So I always thought of myself as more of a right, you know, more of a writer, an actor cursed with the mind of a writer. So like mm-hmm. I, I was, you know, intensely on time and intensely reliable, even though I was this happy-go-lucky actor. So it's kind of a dichotomy. And did you know anything about Maria before? Because she was pretty famous, right? She was, uh, she was famous, but not, I didn't really know who she was. So I knew her as this 92-year-old Holocaust survivor from Austria, but I did not know who her aunt Adele was. I did not know the famous paintings her uncle owned and I did not know all the people her all the you know incredible artistic luminaries that her family knew and and she grew up with um so that would come out very soon after that but but so I fell in love with her before knowing how you know truly special her life was That's beautiful and and you're the right person for that right because you're coming in with you know like new eyes I came from the outside because I think with caregiving a lot of you know families will will become the caregiver for family members. And I think um, that's certainly virtuous and, and, and absolutely helpful, but um, having someone come non-blood related from the outside is um, because I had the patience and, you know, for all the family members that I was dealing with, like I had this, I was like, I mean, sign me up. Like I, even the most difficult of people I had to deal with to me was like a walk in the park because I'm like, I'm not, you know, I didn't grow up with these people. So I love every one of them for all their, for all their quirks. That's so true. Um, So just for the audience, could you give a little backstory of who Maria was? So Maria, um, just to put it in current terms, immediately, some, a lot of people know her from a movie that came out. So there was a movie called A Woman in Gold. And that came out in 2015, where it was with Helen Mirren and Ryan Reynolds. And Helen Mirren played a woman named Maria, um, who was a Holocaust survivor who had, um, who had basically, you know, began a legal campaign against Austria to get all these famous paintings back that her, that her uncle owned when she was a kid. And, um, so that, that woman that Helen Mirren played was Maria, the woman that I ended up caring for. So, so she basically, she had a, a, a very well-known aunt Adele. Her name was Adele Block Bauer. And that was her aunt, and she would host salons and with all with all the great artistic all the great musicians and painters of the day would come to her aunt's you know aunt and uncle's house and and hang out and have tea and Maria was this little kid you know running around at that time and um those um and she also used to um uh, Gustav Klimt, the painter used to come to these salons, and her uncle Ferdinand would commission Gustav Klimt to paint pictures of Adele, his wife. And those paintings would become very well-known. Obviously, Klimt would become very well-known. And um, those paintings, there were five Klimt's, and those Klimt's were stolen when when the Austri- when uh, Hitler annexed Austria in 1938. Those paintings, um, along with a lot of other sculptures and, and artwork, uh, were taken and put into the Belvedere Museum in Vienna. And, and um, that was that. And so Maria grew up knowing that these paintings were her uncle's, um, but there was nothing she could do about it. 
And so finally, when she was about 82 years old, which was would have been about 98, 99, she met a lawyer and decided to uh, to finally go after Austria. And after 10 years, they got the paintings back. And so the, the, the movie Woman in Gold is about how Maria got these these paintings back back in the Austrians, which was which was a, you know, an, an absolute movie. I mean, the you know, art imitates life. It was truly, truly astounding. Yeah, when I, because I didn't, I've never seen that movie and I didn't know who she was until sort of I saw your bio and I looked into it and I was like, oh, this is interesting. It's, it's a movie I would be really interested in because it has a lot of characteristics of um, what, I, what I like seeing is people being motivated uh, and mm-hmm. um, rising above challenges that people put in front of them. And just like with what I've read and what I've seen in the trailer, it seems like that's what she did. 10 years fighting the government for something that was hers, that was stolen uh, by the Nazis mm-hmm. and for them not to give mm-hmm. it back. And like, and what a beautiful story in the end, right? That she actually gets them, gets them back. So I'm guessing this all happened before you came in the picture, right? This did. This, this all ended in 2006 and I met her in 2008. So for two years she had, um, as wow. her son Chuck describes, she had finally you know become an old lady now she could be an old lady and just sit you know enjoy her this incredible life and especially these last 10 years you know she had gosh she had just you know as a woman in her 80s it had taken everything out of her just to I mean you can imagine the stress and the and the the time it would take to take on an entire country trying to get these paintings back so um, when I met her she was two years into finally being able to relax so and then Chuck always always would tell me he would say you know when you came into my mother's life she had a reason to live so and god rest chuck soul he he passed away in uh, 2014 so and who's chuck chuck it was her oldest son and he was he was a real mama's boy he 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 promised his mother he lived with his mother up until the end and he promised his mother he would he would not move out until um, she was gone, and so he he uh, he had a really strong, close connection with his mother his entire life, and so he was he was a really special guy. And then and then part two, this the new book that I just wrote, Chuck uh, plays a big big part in that. I, I didn't get the chance to really dissect Chuck like I did with Maria in the first book. So, so please, I'm really curious. So when you when you first started, were you like just sweating, like not not knowing what what the job really? <laughs> like you know like what was that like for you before you got into sort of the routine um well it it was i was nervous because i'm scared i I mean i'm scared of everything a caregiver shouldn't be scared i'm scared of hospitals i'm i'm you know i don't know anything about medicine so i was a little bit scared i guess i mean i i would make sure okay tom just make sure you explain clearly to me what pills does she need to take uh what does she need to eat like I, i really you know was new to it but but what made it really seamless was just the connection Maria and I had. And it, it became more about like, I felt like I was a hired conversationalist and, and not, not like a hired caregiver. I, I felt like I was being paid to just make her final years or days or years or whatever it would be a pleasure. And um, so it became, so I, I learned, it became very seamless for me to learn everything I needed to learn to keep her around. And, and really it was like, um, conversation was more powerful than medicine. I mean, I felt like, especially in those final days, like we would, you know, she, she was on some medicine, but, but yet when I would walk into a room and sit on her bed and talk to her, 
and laughed with her, that was that was what was healing her, not the medicine, you know. Isn't that so true and just in life? It's the conversations we have with people, the meaningful conversations that mean the most and to help us feel mm-hmm. loved and to feel heard. And that's absolutely yeah. so amazing that you're able to give her that. And she gave that to you, too. And I think that's the, the funny thing with life is that when we uh, we have a job, we think it's one sided, you know, like I'm working for <laughs> you. Right. But really, they're also giving you other things and this bond develops and you're like, well, where'd this, where did this happen? I didn't expect this. And so when was like that first time when you, when you started seeing that friendship um, blossom? Uh, well, we used to take these walks, you know, very, very early on. We, we would, she has these huge blocks. There's a, a, a neighborhood called Cheviot Hills uh, near sort of Southern Beverly Hills in California. And, it would take like, you know, at her pace, it would take about 20 minutes to walk around the block. And we just started, she just started, we just started talking and she was so interested in my life and she would actually ask questions about being an actor. And, you know, her, her husband, Fritz, who had passed away in the nineties, he was an aspiring actor and he was an opera singer. And so she instantly had um, such a curiosity about my life as an artist. And, and then she would just talk about her aunt Adele and she would just, but really, she was so interested in me, and I'd never met anybody. Maybe we'll say I'd never met a woman that was uh, showed that that much interest in me, and and would listen with her heart and not her ears. And and um, I just felt like she was uh, she. It was almost like she was sent from above to be able to comfort me in such a difficult city and such a difficult profession. I, I feel like she was just sent to to comfort me and, and, and show me what was really, show me what, 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 what was really worth loving and what was really worth uh, focusing my attention on. And I, I don't know. I mean, it, it was just, I, I don't know. How, how do you, how do you ever explain how your friendship with genuine friendship with anybody began? It just sort of was an, it's an instantaneous thing. Like you had just been waiting for each other your whole life, you know? Hmm. Yeah, it's like trying to explain when did love start, and it just sort it, it blossoms, <laughs> right? Like it, it tends to blossom, but there's these moments when we can look back and say, "Oh, like that moment was special," because like I realized this was something different. And you know, so yeah. that walk when you realize she cared about you, and like that, yeah. like, for me, like that's that's a huge thing when someone can care about you, and you're like, "Wait a second, what?" Like, huh? You know, like you know, like it makes you rethink, and it starts appreciating them even more and and i can understand how that can flourish even more so because you're right like in any relationship or you know um that we we have with family whatever we just say we want to be heard and and she didn't need to listen to you (laughs) or care about you right like your job was to care about her but she did and that's very special when when all the things that she she could um put her mind on she she put her mind on you yeah, totally. And, and you know, it, it meant a lot at, at her funeral, her daughter, Margie, who lives in Hawaii, um, she came up to me and pulled me aside and said, you know, you were my mother's last great love. And uh, gosh, hearing that, I, I just I just broke into down into tears. And, you know, when you hear I mean, because you don't realize it. I mean, you know, it. I had an inkling of, of the impact I was having on her. I mean, I could just see it in her eyes. But to hear from especially a family member 
how much of an impact I had on her just by being myself and just by enjoying our, our, our natural connection. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it still, still gets me emotional when I, when I think of her saying that to me. So it was nice to, to know that. I think people wait their whole life for someone to, to love them like that. And for you to have that with a, you know, really it was a stranger that you met <laughs> through work. Yeah. It, it, but it's complicated. You know, the love I had for her, it was a love knowing that, knowing that we could never be together in a, in a romantic way. It was like, I looked at her, we looked at each other and she would say to me, you know, I wish I met you 70 years ago. Um, and I, and I wish, and, and I told her I, I felt the same way, but it was not, so it was like, it was almost like we, we could enjoy the idea that maybe in another life we we could have been something together romantically, even though it, it was in no way awkwardly assuming that it would be in this life. It was like we were just enjoying what it would be like. And, you know, so I loved her knowing that I could never be with her in a romantic way. And so in a way that was like, I'm not going to say it was easy to love. I mean, it was easy to love her because she was so incredible. And she, you know, loving her was like loving a piece of, you know, pecan pie or something. But I just, it's just hard. It, it's it's harder when you, it's easier when you love somebody that you know that there's no chance for romance. And then it gets a little more complicated when you, when you love somebody where there is a chance for romance. And then that's when everything gets all jumbled <laughs> up, at least in my life. <laughs> well, it's true. Cause then there's different expectations and models yeah. of what that should look like. But it's a, when a, a pure form of love is when you don't have those expectations and you can right. allow yourself to be free and they're allowed to be free too. Cause you know, like romantic relationships are difficult for many reasons. Main part is that there are these biases of what a relationship should be. Um, but when it comes mm-hmm. to friendships, it's it's so different. You're you you can be yourself. And then when you're yourself, what happens and they and your other friends appreciate you, well then that's exactly what you're looking for. And for mm. for her to be so much older than you, but still you can have that connection is amazing. I'm always worried about like my grandma. Like we talk a little, but she's like the generations are, are pretty far apart and the conversation style is a little different so like i would always be a little weary like would like can you have that with someone older um but as you said like you can you just have to have that per those personalities that click same with like friendships or any, anything else it's like there's certain people that would just click no matter the age and i think that's fabulous mm. yep absolutely I, I love knows no age especially mm. in, the, in this uh respect with maria and um um, I feel like, uh, I feel like we were definitely meant to meet. Absolutely. And what was it that she ever tell you? Like why she valued you so much in her life? Did she ever actually tell, I mean, not, nothing, not a kind of heart to heart as in like, Gregor, I want you to sit down and I want to tell you exactly why it, it was never like that. It It was more, she just always wanted to have fun and see the beauty and joy and everything and and I think I, I I provided her some some youth and some innocence and some I think we were the same I mean she was this at 92 I I think she was almost like a young soul and I was an old soul and we we kind of met in the middle and I feel like I feel like I had this joie de vie this lust for life that that she loved and and one thing she she couldn't understand was people that were sort of boring or that didn't have this 
this lust for life and this sort of curiosity about every little thing in front of them. And, and I had that. And so we both would walk in, in, in a park and, and we would just notice every little detail together. And so I think I just provided her somebody where she could feel youthful again. She didn't feel like she was 92 and she could have fun and learn about my life, which sometimes involved going out on bad dates or whatever. And she would ask about if I had been like on Monday, she would say, how were you naughty this weekend? And tell me about, so she, she, she had that naughty side where she wanted to know all the naughty stuff, but um, I don't know. There was never that, that, that heart to heart. And, and sometimes I feel like I never told her I loved her a lot. Like I loved her so much, but I, I, I don't know from my upbringing and our, my family ha was never the most affectionate family. And so I, I wasn't used to telling people I love them. And so I, I always had trouble telling him saying, Maria, I really love you. And I told it to her, you know, a couple of times towards the end, but looking back, I wish I had told her more, but she knew I loved her. Well, your behavior says like a thousand words, right? And yeah, I'm glad you had those those moments together with her. What was it like when you started seeing her health maybe um, decrease a little bit? That was uh, that was tough because you know she towards the end she she developed a little little bit of dementia, and so she got to maybe like the middle stages of dementia to where. I would um, I would walk into a room and we would have a conversation and then I would leave and then I would come back and she would say, oh, Gregor, you're here, you know, as if I had just arrived and that kind of thing. And her short term memory was going. So her, you know, she 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 could, you know, and she was having a little bit of trouble walking towards the end. And, you know, so there was that deterioration and it goes down quickly in your 90s. I mean, that was that's what you know, that's what everybody would tell me, like, um, you know it's once you get to your 90s that milestone it just goes down quickly and so it just seems like one day we were walking around the block with no walker and then suddenly you know she was having trouble getting out of the bed the next day and, and it and it declines from there but the really tragic thing is towards the end about three months before she passed um i was not at the house and and uh, i was you know because i was there monday through friday and this happened on a weekend where somebody left a brush on the floor of her bathroom and so she slipped on the brush and <sighs> fell on the floor and it, it was like an expensive camera falling onto the ground it was like you know she was still intact but you know it, it rattled her a little bit and so um she was kind of bedridden and um so that so that really uh, accelerated her her decline which was tough to see yeah that's unfortunate for sure and to to have to and to learn to sit with that. And so what did you do to sit with that, that suffering? I, it was tough. Um, I would have to excuse myself a lot. She would say these heartbreaking things. I mean, uh, like, especially towards the end, she would say these things like she would say, she said to me one time, she said, um, she looked at me and she said, you know, Gregor, you're the best part about the end. Okay. And, uh, Boy, I mean, it still chokes me up and I would have to like, I would have to leave the room and go into the bathroom and just like cry into a towel and then, and then come back and act like, oh, I just had to go get a drink. It's okay. And so I, I couldn't show her how much she was affecting me with what she would say. And I mean, I put that line as a writer, like I put that line in so many different like scripts and it was just such a powerful moment. And um, so 
I, it was tough for me and it was especially tough like the last three days because she, she was in pain and she, but, but I would be with her and she would just look at me and, and, and it was like, I would hold her hand and she would be okay, you know? And so, yeah. And then I had never, by the way, I'd never lost anybody that I truly loved. Like this is the first time that I ever lost somebody that I, I mean, I never loved anybody deeper than Maria who I lost, like, how do I say that? <laughs> I never lost anybody that I loved as much as Maria. I, I hadn't had much death in my life in general. So like losing Maria was like so confounding and so confusing and so, so difficult for me that it took me a while to get over. But then when I got out, but then she was such a part of me that I feel like I went through such agony after she died and then she was such a part of me that it was almost like I woke up one day and I was like wow I get to I get to have Maria in me the rest of my life this is amazing <laughs> <laughs> that's great yeah <laughs> uh, that's, that's amazing that you can to so like as you process you realize what she did for you and how that love mm. still yeah. is within and really uh, changed who you are in this world and I think that's the most important thing about the people that we meet and the, and then when they do die is that, you know, their impact on us hasn't stopped and mm. it's still shining through you. And I'm guessing this is why you wrote the book, right? The first book, part one. Yep. I wrote the first book um, partly because I knew I would, I would, if I reached the end of my life without ever having written it, I knew that I, I would regret it. And, and also to show, I felt like I wanted to show people that like this woman was not just a character out of a novel. I mean, like she actually existed and, you know, because she had, she was so quotable and so such a interesting woman. I mean, the fact that she was this elegant grand dam of the highest pedigree. And then like a second later, she could crack like a naughty joke and, and have everybody laughing. And it, it was just, she was such a fascinating lady. And then also just, just because I, it was, I was living it and she was, she had such an impact on my life. That I feel like I, I needed to just get out. Not, I didn't feel like I needed to get it right. I, I mean, get it right. Yeah. But I didn't feel like I needed to write like a good or a bad book. It was like, I need to just write this, like, like get it out of me write it down at the way I want to write it and do it my way and, um, and just finish it and then put it out there. Like it, it, it was not something I did. I thought to myself, cause I'd never written anything. It's not like I thought, okay. Cause I didn't know. I thought authors were just this other plane of people that I would never, like, I'm not an author, but I, I, but I am somebody that feels very deeply and I just, did it my way and and people i think appreciated that i think readers read it and they thought here's an, such an authentic account that's not trying to be anything it's not and they were really it really resonated with them because they felt like they were there with me in the room like feeling what i was feeling so wow i think that's that's fabulous you got that feedback what was it like when her family read that that book did what kind of feedback did they give you that that was nerve wracking because that okay so <laughs> I'll get to Chuck in a second that was the the one that that scared me the most but because Chuck was like the most honest like straightforward person um, that it, like he would he was like I need you needed to impress Chuck if if and if not anybody else but like uh, first um, her 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 son Peter read it 
and he totally approved of it. Her daughter, Margie, like they all <clears throat> ardently approved of it. And they, and they knew how much um, I meant to their mother. And so they, they were just down with everything I did. And so that helped. And so, but when Chuck read, Chuck was like the last person to read it. And, um, and I was so frightened that he would hate it. And I knew that if he hated it, then literally I would, I would not never publish it. And not to mention that I'd want to like, like <laughs> move somewhere and never be seen again. But he, um, he, I gave him the book one night and then he called me the very next morning at like six in the morning. And I was like, Oh no, like, what does, what does that mean? Like he read the book, like he could either want to kill me or, or want to congratulate me. And he, um, he's like, Gregor, I read the book. And then there was this long pause and he loved to pause just, you know, uh, just to, just because he, he didn't, he didn't rush for anybody. Like it was just, he was like, he was such an interesting guy. And so, and, and he finally said, you did my mother justice. And uh, boy, you really captured my mother. And to hear him say that, who adored his mother even more than me, like he adored his mother as if he wasn't her son. Like he adored her like I adored her and more. And he told me I captured her. And I and knowing that he was brutally honest with everybody, it didn't matter who you were, um, I, that was the best like endorsement I got of the book. And I thought if I never <laughs> get any other reviews of the book, but Chuck's, I'm totally cool with that. <laughs> oh, that's so amazing. Yeah. Cause I can think they'd be so nerve wracking. As you said, like if they didn't like it, you wouldn't have published it. Because oh, it's, it would have killed me. It would have killed yeah. me. Yeah. Wow. So I'm glad you're able to do that. I'm really curious too, just in her, in her passing, were you on shift when she died caregiving for her? I, I was, and I was there at her bedside. So there was a, she had, about the last like few hours she had kind of slipped into a coma in her bed and we we all made sure like she was at home i mean maria was lucky enough to have enough money to to die in her own home which i wish every old older person could have that luxury but she was in her bed and um jerry who was a, a friend of her son was holding her hand and counting her breaths and um i remember that like he was counting in the, the 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 time in between her breaths and they her breasts kept getting longer and longer amount of time in between breaths and i just remember it was so oh it was so nerve-wracking i mean and he had seen a lot of death like jerry's seen a lot of death in his life so he was counting the seconds as if uh he was just counting the moments before his i don't know his pizza was ready or something but you know obviously he deeply loved her but he just said he was just very accustomed to death and what what went on and I'm sitting there like a nervous, like a, like a wreck. And um, finally the last breath, like he counted whatever it was amount of seconds. And then her, her next breath, it never came. And it was just like silence and it was just, oh, and so, um, yeah. And, and then, and then, and then they left Jerry and Peter left the room and then Tom and I, Tom, it was so fitting. The guy who got me the job, we're both sitting on the sides of Maria's bed. She's, She's passed at this point, and we're both holding her hands, uh, mourning her death. It was just really, oof, yeah. Yeah, because I was thinking, because when you said she slipped on that brush and you went around, I was curious if you were around for this. And I'm glad you were able to do that and be there. I think said like it's got to be therapeutic to be able to also be there with the family and also Tom to, to have those final yeah. moments with her. Yeah. And I had, she, you know, when she fell on the brush, there was still, you know, about 
I, I would say maybe like six weeks of of her being alive. So so we definitely had after the brush, I had plenty of time with her, and I just didn't get to speak. The, the last time, the last conversation we had was. I was sitting on her bed and, she, and this was like a day before she died. And she said, are you packed? And I said, well, of course I'm packed. I'm, I'm ready to go to Vienna with you. And she says, she squeezed my hand and she says, good. So like that, that was our very last conversation, which I didn't know at the time, but looking back, I thought, Oh, and, and that's how I finished the book. Like after she passed away, I, I decided to go to Austria and I, I did exactly what, she asked me if I was going to go to Austria and I, I went to Austria. So, yeah. Oh, no way. Wow. Yeah. How was that for you? Cause it's gotta be a, a monumental part of your grief journey. Oh yeah. It was, it was such an incredible time. And I really feel like she was with me and there were so many, I, I mean, I, again, the, the epilogue of the book is my trip to Europe with her quote unquote in my suitcase. And I, I got, I ran into so many different things that, were only just only explicable like it was just this supernatural things that i was in the right place at the right time or i met the right person or or i got a phone call at the right like it was just or if something went wrong like i couldn't find i was couch surfing at the time and i couldn't find my host to to to, to stay and then suddenly like they would you know suddenly I, I got a phone, like I couldn't find a host. And then I got a phone call from someone I hadn't talked to in years who was like, oh, I heard you're in Austria. And I go, well, yeah, I don't have a place to stay. Oh, stay with me. Like, it was just, I feel like Maria was orchestrating everything. It was, it was incredible. Did you ever like, did you visit like points where she may have talked about or that you knew she visited before? Yep. We, I, I went to like, she always talked about when she was a kid, she would buy, would go with her father to this park and buy um, chestnuts from this chestnut roaster and I went to that park and and we went to um, uh, district two I think it was where her uncle Ferdinand had his, his mansion which is now repurposed into something else and I um, yeah and she would always talk about the horses and uh, you know would always slip on the ice and I, I wasn't there during the winter but she would always say the horses running around Vienna would always slip on the ice and she felt so bad for them and so I you know we we you know I would go go to all the places she talked about and and um what uh what was there was something um oh and I I met um oh and one of oh one of my couch surfers the guy I was staying with as a couch surfer he knew who Maria was and he knew more about Maria than I did and we ended up and to this day we're like one of he's one of my closest friends and I was like that that he was brought to me by Maria. I mean Maria uh Maria totally brought this guy into my life. So that's amazing. Wow, like you like it's so funny because your book's like the accidental caregiver, but like you when you start seeing all these accidents, quote unquote, everywhere in your as you move around, you're like there's something else, man. This is something that's just like meant to be. Um to, totally. to meet certain people at certain times and especially during a loss, like how impactful that can be to remembering her and for him to know so much you're just like wow like for you to learn more about the person you're grieving is is a fabulous thing like when my dad died that was one of the things because I, I knew him as a father right and but i didn't really know who he actually was you know like he played a different role 
um, than he did with his friends or his sister or siblings. So I was able to ask them who he was. And it's a totally different picture, but I got to learn more of who he was than the person I saw. Wow. Yeah. So and it, you it was nice. Oh, go on. Would you think, and, and did, did you ever think to yourself, I, I mean, was it, I wish I would have cried more when he was around or you were just happy to know who he really was after the fact? Like, what was that for, like for you? Yeah, I definitely wish I would have uh, had more conversations about his past and who he was. And that's just a thing, right? That's why I was like, oh, interesting. But he, you know, really until my mom and him separated, he had this really tough guy act where he was a father and he knew best and his role was trying to protect me from the world. But after that separation, all of a sudden he dropped that role and allowed me in a little bit more. So he, we would actually mm. hang out almost as friends and we'd talk about certain things in, in his life, in my life, but I never really got too much of his past. That was, I was just beginning university at that point and understanding more about psychology and all that sort of stuff. So only mm. later on did I look look back after he died and said, oh, you know what? I We had moments that I could have asked I just never did. It wasn't really, I never thought he was going to die, right? <laughs> it wasn't one right, of things. But, right. now, but looking back now, I'm glad there's people around me that knew him for longer periods of time and knew him in a different way to get a fuller idea of, of who he was in his life. Because, you know, like for me, there were some traumatic moments there. And his past allowed me to see why he did what he did. And that gave me, hmm. uh, with understanding, gave me comfort that uh, you know like it wasn't me or it wasn't family it was just some things he had a hard time coping with and so it's just like it was good so like i'm glad i had that and so i'm glad you said like found some new stuff and probably like they would continue to go on because there's got to be so much new things you will you will find as you move forward and so yeah. when you when you wrote the book and you now you're doing talks about her and the whole con like everything you you learned what are those like to you and what kind of feedback do you get from others listening to your story? Um, well, it, that's been a, a quite an accidental journey doing that. I, I um, you know, I had received an email. What, what kind of started it? I, I had done a few little talks like private homes in California and um, um, with uh, um, and sort of banquet, a few small banquet halls just with small gatherings. And, and that was in, incredible. Um, but I think it took a new turn when I got, a Facebook message in late 2017 from this random woman who named Diane, who said, I'm at the Heathrow airport and I'm reading a book called The Accidental Caregiver. And I think this is you. I found you through Facebook. If it's you, I want to let you know it was, a, you know, it really touched me, your book. And, and, um, and so I, I got back to her and I said, thank you yeah it's me and thank you so much for reading it we went back a few times and like a month later she sent me a note and says look i i'm involved with the witso which is the women's international zionist organization and we're based in australia in sydney and um well i mean they're all over the world but her chapter is in sydney and i i don't know this is a long shot but would you want to fly out to australia and our mothers they were having a mother's day brunch coming up and you know, and come out here and, and we have a, we'd have about eight, eight talks uh, planned for you in Sydney, Melbourne and Perth. And it'd take about three weeks and you would just, you know, go around and talk to audiences about who Maria was and all that. And it went from there and I ended up doing that. And that's really what started part two, because that, that really told me as I'm hopping around kangaroo land and having just the, 
the time of my life talking about Maria, I, I realized that the story didn't end when Maria died. It was still going. And the story was about me and how, how I was growing and learning from the experience with Maria and how she makes me a better man. And so I would meet people. Um, it, it's a very Holocaust survivor centered area of the world. Actually, outside of Israel, um, Australia is the has the highest Holocaust survivor population in the world. So I would, you know, these audiences were, were people that had been through the Holocaust, like actually had been in camps and things like that. And, and, and so I felt a little bit at first, like a little bit inadequate. I'm like, well, what, what, what am I, what did I do to now be talking to these incredible people that survived this uh, harrowing experience? And like, all I am, I was just Maria's caregiver and I'm just talking about Maria, but, but they were like, you know, hearing Maria's story and hearing you talk about her and how much you love her just fills, it would just fill people with joy. Like they would think, wow, like what a story. And it just filled them with a sense of joy about life. And it's exactly what, how Maria saw life, that it was just one big playground and one big, you know, opportunity to be joyous. So, so I found, I, I was truly connected to my true self as I'm going around talking about Maria. So that, that, that's so funny. That I had a big effect on me. I'm uh, I'm thinking like after these talks and you're talking to all these people that are Holocaust survivors, did anyone ever come up to you and ask if you would caregive for them? <laughs> <laughs> I I do get well I mean I I get uh I get people like uh you know they're too embarrassed to say it so they'll be they'll be like so have you ever you know have you ever thought about like it's not they're just trying to go a roundabout way like joking about it but they're kind of serious yeah I've gotten that and like they're just they're definitely there's that aspect of because I'm a young guy and I guess I'm you know a, a young robust guy and and uh, so they definitely weren't expecting like they were expecting a speaker about as a they, before seeing me they thought I was going to be you know like a, I don't know a, a man in his 50s or 60s mm-hmm. um, an older man and so when they they saw me show up they're like oh wow here's this strapping guy taking care of this woman so it, there was definitely that element of um, Whoa! I'd like to have a strapping guy take care of me, and but it was like it was such a it was like an unabashed like they weren't some of them weren't embarrassed and it, and it wasn't an embarrassing thing it wasn't like it was more like they're just like with Maria they were just celebrating this moment where you know and I guess when you get older you don't really care as much what people think so some people would be like blatantly just uh, kind of in a in a flirtatious manner or whatever but but at any rate it it, it was just like. I felt like I was brightening these people's day just simply by talking about Maria. And I thought, well, Maria must be happy about this. <laughs> well, I would think too, like hearing about that, I'd like, I want a caregiver like you, you know, like when I'm in <laughs> life. And so, because that's what we would long for to have these meaningful conversations, especially with strangers, which is very difficult to have. And so, mm. You know, for for you to be able to share that it's a possibility in someone's life as they move forward that they haven't met everyone that they impacted yet, and that's a powerful mm. statement that you're promoting. That you never know who you're going to impact, and you're not talking about you per se. You're talking about the bond that was connected. You know, a couple of years before she died, and like who would have thought? Mm. You know, and that's what I love is that you never know who you're going to meet and the impact you have on people. And now you're doing the same thing by doing these, the, the speaking, you're impacting what people think is possible in their life mm. and the people they meet. So I love it. I love the story. 
Totally. Yeah. Thanks. And I, I was, cause I, I, I know we haven't talked about like the grief dreams. Cause I, w- once in a while, I, I mean, I feel like Maria is such a part of me that I don't, I don't really dream about her often because I feel like I, I almost, you know, it's like, you know, our three years, I feel like I wasn't, I don't regret. I didn't, I didn't need more time with her, even though I would have loved it. It's not like, you know, those three years felt so complete to me. And, um, but once in a while I have a dream about her where when, whenever I dream about her, it's always like me kind of like anticipating, like, I know that she's waiting out somewhere, like out outside of a building or something. And I'm, I'm like, Oh, I got, I got to get out of this building. Cause I know Maria's there and I want to reunite with her and hug her. And so like all my dreams with her, are um are like when i see her and we hug and it's almost we look at each other like she's like wow look at what you've done these last few years and and talking about me and it's so cool and i look at her and i'm like oh wow I, it's so cool like i i've been talking about you and i still talk about you isn't that so cool and we would just like hug and embrace so it's always i don't know it's, it's uh i wish i dreamed about her more to be honest those are some amazing dreams and so it's a very similar theme each time you dream of her yeah it's very similar we always like look at each other with with such reverence for each other and just um and just have and and it's just that feeling of like oh maria's here and you get to talk to her and it's just yeah it's a real celebratory feeling um so it's never it's never i mean because her life was that like it's never grieving and it's never sad and it's never, it's always filled with joy. And I think that's because how, that's how she lived her life. And she never looked at her past or the Holocaust or anything as, as a grieving experience. It was more like that was a terrible thing, but, but you know, we're here and we're alive and you're, you know, you, you know, you're, I'm so happy to have you and all this stuff. And so there was never time for any grieving in her life. And I, I love too, like the aspect of the dream of, the acknowledgement of what you're doing, you know, like you're celebrating mm. what you're doing in in her name. Right. And that's sort of like really the book, right? Like saying yes to the, to the world um, with her being a part of you. And I think, you know, like, cause you don't see that in like every dream, right? So that's why I'm like, I look at that and it's so unique because not everyone speaks mm. on their grief or gets an opportunity to speak about their loss and how and who the person was. You know, I'm lucky. Like, I get to have a podcast. I get to talk to my dad every now and then. And when I do talks on grief dreams, I always bring them up. And like, that's such a privilege, but most people don't get an opportunity to do that. And so it's nice mm. how like you have those dreams. I've never had one dream of my dad saying, good talk. And you know, like, <laughs> or, you know, like anything like that, you know, like, and so it's, that's so unique for you and, and that relationship to sort of have that and to have that moment. I'm curious, is she younger in the dream? Like maybe in her twenties? <laughs> no, but, but, but you would know she's, she's always how I left her in her nineties, but, oh. but I would love, and that's what I wrote. Like I wrote the script, the film script to, to my book. I, I also turned my book into a play in New York, but like I wrote the film script too. And I, I was exploring that notion of how, when I met her in the, in the film, it would flash, flash back to like, as if we just met during, as we're escaping the Holocaust. And, and it was like a young Gregor and a young Maria. And, but, but in the present, we didn't know that we had that past and all this like, like love across continents and time. And, but, um, but I kind of, w- I, I kind of think about like, well, wouldn't I once in a while have a dream that I met the young Maria? Like I, you would think, but I haven't, maybe I will tonight. <laughs> I imagine that. That'd be so exciting. Oh, it'd be so yeah. hear that. If, if you I do, if you... I do, I'm 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 really gonna I'm really gonna um 
I'm really going to make an attempt to do that tonight. And, I, and, and if you get a call from me tomorrow, it'll be to tell you that I had that dream. But That's sweet. You know what? Let's play around with that imagery right now, right? Like really like for, yeah. formulate what this dream would look like. So first, so what age? Because I know you're, you're a little older now from your 20s. So would you want her to be like in her 30s? Yeah. Or? No, I think I, I'd like to meet her when we're in our like early 20s because she met Fritz, her husband, when she was like, yeah. I think 20 when she was like 21, 22. So I want to meet her like at, I want to meet her at 20 before she met Fritz. And I would be, I guess I would be, I would be maybe slightly older. So like I'm 21, she's 20 or something. Hmm. You know? How old are you? How old are you now? Well, I'm 45 right now. Okay. So um, you're going back too. You're going, you're going back. I, I guess, you know, what? wait, am I allowed to, maybe I'm not allowed to go. Maybe I have to be the 45 year old man, but then that would yeah. make me look like a creep. If, if I was, <laughs> so she could be 40. <laughs> I guess, I guess, I guess. No, you're right. You're right. I, maybe that's unrealistic. Like I shouldn't, I shouldn't get to go back. It's more like, yeah. So I'm, I'm 45 and she's, yeah, she's around the same age, I guess. Okay, I like that. No, it's nice because you didn't know her when she yeah. was forty-five, and so yeah, and her... more realistic. <laughs> <That's> what... <laughs> and where was she in the world when she was forty-five? Was she in uh, New York then? She would be. She was in L.A. Uh, L.A. She, okay, yeah. She, yeah, she was in L.A. for for like almost seven decades. So she came in the in the mid forties, nineteen forties, and then you know, okay. at, at twenty-three years old, yeah. So what do you want her to be wearing? Because now it's like a, it's a different time, right? Do you want her to be? <laughs> well, I, I I feel like I would I we would be going to the opera or something because she mm-hmm. opera was very important to her and especially growing up in in Vienna, you know she she would go to the, the opera and um, I feel like I would meet her. She would have an elegant, a very elegant dress on, and we I would be dressed very nicely, and we would both we would both be going you know to the theater or or more specifically the opera. I would say. I like that in Vienna. Uh, let me think. Oh, Would it be in Vienna? Uh, for some reason, well, I did go to the opera with her in her nineties. I mean, I went to the opera with her in LA. We went to a really great Placido Domingo concert. So I'm, I'm trying to think. Do I imagine? I think it would. Maybe it would be in LA and not Vienna because I feel like that's where I knew her. So, so I, I feel like it's it's LA. Oh, that's cool. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's and she nice. loved Placido. She had a big, she loved Placido Domingo and she actually knew him. And, and I actually, that was another foreboding that when, before I even met her, I was a actor, you know, and I was caregiving. I mean, I was um catering. So like uh, at the music center and I, I would see Placido all around because he was the general manager at the music center, Placido Domingo. And then um when I started caring for her, I go, yeah, I work. I was working at the music center where Placido, she's like, oh, I love Placido. And so one time I went and uh, I was catering and I pulled Placido Domingo aside and I said, Placido, listen, I, I take care of Maria Altman. Do you know her? He goes, oh my gosh, I know her so well. She's so amazing. And, and we had this conversation. Everybody was jealous of me because they thought Placido Domingo is talking to Gregor. Like they know each other. Like what what is going on here? And um so then he invited, he's like, I, I, you know, so he invited me and Maria to, personally to his concert. And then he, during halftime, he came out and said hi to us. And it was one of the thrills of Maria's last, last few, few weeks. Wow. Oh, that's wild. Yeah. Such an interesting story. And lastly, for the dream, what do you want said between the two of you? I know she's really good at those one-liners. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, let's think. I think she would... 
you know, she always said to me, uh, and I need to hear this so often because I, I get really stressed out very quickly, but she always used to say, everything will be okay, my love. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I would love hearing that from her because it would just instantly make me feel better. Um, so I, I feel like every, I feel like she's going to just reassure me because, you know, again, like in my life, I, I'm, gosh, man, I, I, sometimes I have trouble. It, it's hard for me. It's been really hard journey for me to find just meaning and, and, and consistent. Um, just, I, I, you know, it, it's been a tough road for me. So, um, I feel alone a lot and I feel a little isolated and I, especially the last few months, cause I just moved to a new place and pandemic. Anyway, I feel like she would just reassure me and she would say, everything is going to be okay, Gregor. And we would just, you know, just kind of embrace and I don't know, go from there. I like that. No, I like that. You know, it touches my heart, like hearing, hearing this stuff. And this is the hard part of finding love is that when those people die, it's, you know, like, can, will I find someone like this again? And right. you know, like, that's what we're all, you know, especially with our partners, we hope our partners are those people. Sometimes they're not, <laughs> but that's what we, right. we long for is to have that kind of meaningful connections regularly and to sort mm-hmm. of just, it helps with the meaning of life and, and the directions. And, but she gave you that in, in such a short time. I think that's, that's so phenomenal. I love that dream. And I was even thinking too, like, what, what would she say? And so like, uh, cause the one quote you said, like, you're the best part of the end. It'd be cool yeah. like, in my mind if she said, you're the best part of this dream. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah like, you're the, you're, well, well the, yeah, she said, you're the best part about the end. So she would right. say, you're, you're the best part about this dream. Yeah, no, that would be. But that, the opera that, and that would require. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that would require a, a real complicated nuance of her. In other words, she would be, we would be aware that she had said that and we'd be sitting in the room and she would. As you know, as if winking would say, "You're the best part about this dream." I and mean, she would be calling attention to something that I've used a lot. Yeah, that that would be very nuanced. That I would I would love for that to happen. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, hopefully you have this dream. I'm uh, I'm uh, I'll, I'll keep in touch with you <laughs> just to see. Yeah, yeah. yeah that well, you, best thing ever. You'll have to give me a. a I mean, is it, I I mean I I don't know how quant how scientific or 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 uh quantifiable this is but like i i feel you know i feel like the more you talk about something or i don't know is it the the, the with dreams it's, it's the more you talk about it or the more your your heart kind of yearns for it then the more likely you're gonna dream about it or what 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 it's is really that? interesting well we're trying to figure that out still right and that's what some of the research i'm doing i uh, was looking at because people want to know like why haven't i had a dream versus people who have mm-hmm. dreams and we don't fully understand all everything but one of the factors is just if the more you dream in general the more often you remember these types of dreams and the dreams mm-hmm. usually reflect aspects of where you are uh, so if you're but at the same time most of these dreams are really positive and comforting and it usually provides you or the deceased usually says stuff that will give you that comfort in in your life and so a lot of it's just reassuring people that they're still loved and that's mm. like out of all the dreams i see that's the most common theme is just remembering the love because there's so much mm. pain 
when you're waking up and there's so many secondary losses that come from the death and so it's Mm -hmm. so easy to get down and forget what exists inside and so these dreams really help showcase what's still alive because i said if it happens in a dream like that feeling well it means it must be real and so that feeling Mm -hmm. must still be in when you're awake in waking life we just you know finding that is a very difficult part of life is finding that you know the path back to people say the soul or just that place of love and peace where everything will be okay right like in that space mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so you know i uh i'm glad you had this moment though in your life as much as we want the next moment <laughs> right that next person mm-hmm. some people mm-hmm. never some people never find this moment, you know, like, <laughs> like, yeah, you may, no, you're right. You know, like I'm looking at this, I'm like, oh my, like, this is like a gem found in the wilderness <laughs> like that people yeah. have been like exploring for decades <laughs> and not achieving. Yeah, no, it's, it, I, 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 I shouldn't lose sight of that. And I, I appreciate you saying that because I, I mean, for years I've been talking about her and sometimes I might take for granted um the kind of the miraculousness of of it the gem of it um i mean obviously i actually very aware of how much of a gem it is but like hearing you say a gem in the wilderness uh yeah it's um i just she always used to say to me she said gregor i'm going to be looking down on you for the rest of my life and i'll make sure you find the woman of your dreams and you know (laughs) speaking of dreams and uh, you know and I, i I, I always remember that and, and uh I haven't I haven't really it's not that I haven't found the woman I dreams I don't think I've let her in I think I've been very mm-hmm. maybe, maybe part of that is you know I've I've I, I did love Maria so much that part of me thinks that you know no one else would match up but that's part of it but but I just um it's been I, I I've had trouble like conflating like okay my experience with Maria is that somehow affecting um, my lack of letting someone in that I really love, who's my age and all that. Uh, I, I don't know. I just, I always try to think, I, I don't know if that's a part of it, but I know that she always wanted that for me and I haven't yet been able to find it. So I don't know. I just don't know. Yeah. It'd be interesting too, for you to have a dream where you're sitting down and she brings someone, she's like, I found her. Yeah. I'd be like, how do I figure out how to like make it real? But in, but in reality, but in reality, you know, it's that whole, okay, you know, life is but a dream. In reality, when we're awake, you, you know, it very well could be dream. And when we're dreaming, we're awake, you know, we don't, you know, we don't know. Oh, yeah. It's all, it's all connected, but you're right. And then I think those are interesting questions to after any kind of loss is how is it affecting who I am now? And especially if you're looking for a partner and you've had such a profound love. It's like having a diamond and then realizing you, you're never going to find that same diamond again. But can you find, right. but what can you find? And right. you'll, you have changed so much. So what you're looking for has also changed, which is interesting. Because I think if you mm-hmm. would have, who you're looking for prior to Maria, just because you didn't have any experience with that type of love, you would have been okay with. And then you're like, oh, this, you would have called it love, even though it was just something different. <laughs> Some like right. ego stuff. But now since you had such a profound thing, what you're looking for, I think, is totally different. And with that, the love that you find with that person will be a different type of love. But I think it's going to be, I don't, personally, I don't believe that you're closed off from it. I just believe it's going to look different than what you expect. Because what you've had 
was with someone a lot older, right? And that connection and, and who they were different. And so you're going to find someone probably your own age, um, around, around there, right? <laughs> yeah, but like, yeah. Yeah. I, but like, I always find that what people do for us, right? That love, well, it changes who we are and how we see ourselves. And mm. that brings about that love that we're actually seeking because no one can give you that love, right? Um, that we're all seeking and, and they can give us moments, but they leave or they die or they have to go. And we're, we're, we sit with ourselves. And so who you are now in these moments, and you said like reflecting on who she was and how she's a part of you now, basically what you're saying is you love yourself more now than you did before. <laughs> and that's what I, that's what I hear right. because she changed right. you on the inside to, to feel more that life is more meaningful and the possibility mm -hmm. of, of love and what you can experience in this world has changed. And so, yeah, mm -hmm. so you have a better probability of actually finding that. And, you know, I have no, no doubt that you will find it. It just takes patience. Right. And, uh, yeah. That's the hard part is really just allowing life to provide you the accidental um, meetings that you require. And throughout your whole life, it's been, you know, like the most meaningful things in your life has been accidental. You know, like, <laughs> like, right. you really yeah. look at yeah. that. You're not trying to find a partner. You're just trying to wait until that partner accidentally runs into you. Yeah, no, you're right. And then, and those times where you feel like, it's just the hardest thing in the world is to wake up every day with, with hope, you know, and sometimes mm. you just wake up and you're like, suddenly go from hope to the complete opposite of hope in, in one morning. And it's, uh, it's, it's in those times of, 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 of sort of seemingly feeling invisible or feeling, uh, like you're not having an effect on anybody. It's, it's during those times where if you can be hopeful, that's like, that's like Herculean, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the, the crazy thing about life. And that's why these people are so meaningful to us is they provide us that like every, every time, every Monday to Friday, yeah, you're with her. She's providing you hope. You're providing that love. And it's just having, it's having that patience, but at the same time, cultivating the love within yourself to know when that person does come that you don't need them in that way anymore. Like you needed Maria but you can be present mm. together. And I think that's, you know, <laughs> we're talking about a lot, of, uh, we're talking a lot about this, but I think that's like for that's me um, in my life, in my own journey, one of the, the issues I had when it came to relationship was I needed someone to feel loved so much. And when that relationship ended, it was, uh, it was such a destructive force in my life. And then my goal from that on, I had a dream that basically told me my issue wasn't that the person left. The issue was that, I needed her to feel loved. And so my goal has always been mm. to look inside, to cultivate right. love, to then um, not sort of need, quote unquote, the other person, but to be able to be right. with that person. Because that's what that person needs, right? Like they want to be also free. Right. And so like when you can cultivate that love within yourself, all of a sudden um, that right person can actually be part of your life because then you're ready to give that person that space too, to be free. Because when we need someone, there's always restrictions, but when you're, when you're just being with someone, right? Like you were with Maria, right? There's no restrictions in the sense of, you know, like you weren't dating, you weren't married. So the, the boundaries were freer and it's like, how do we get that into a relationship? And maybe this is sort of, if you want to, you say like you have patience, but when you have that time and you really think about it, it, these, these could be the moments where you cultivate that within yourself for when that person does come, they'll stay because they're also as free 
as you need them to be and what you want. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I mean, very, very well, well and eloquently said. I mean, I, I agree with you. And, and that's always, uh, that, that's, that's always, that's my goal. That That's always been my kind of focus. And I, I feel like in life, sometimes the, the things that you're intensely focusing on improving are the exactly the things that, that are the last to improve because it's like that you, you're, you want it so bad and you want that feeling of being self, uh, you know, this self-love and not needing the outside physical representation of that. But, um, and it's like it just makes it harder the more you want it. So it's like almost like you have to just know you have it and 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 yeah. just not even pay mind to it, you know. Yeah, and well, know that you're cultivating it because it's 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 hard work to love who we are in a world that really doesn't love itself. You know, like and many right. people around don't love itself. You know, like and and the economy is based on people not loving themselves right so it's just like um it's a very mm -hmm. difficult task to ask anyone and you know like will you get there 100 percent? probably not i'm not going to get there i know that but i can make an effort and within that effort comes a different way of seeing a relationship and so when it does happen it it's a different form of what you first thought relationships were and what could they could be uh, growing up because your aspect of relationships are based on film or based on people around you or based on mm -hmm. you know, this uh, severe attachment um, and the lack of love. And so there's like, usually there's two people that have, uh, you could say um, different neuroses and different things and, and they come together and they help each other out in those areas. Um, but that's also makes it limiting because they can't grow. Cause if one person grows, it's very hard for the other one to stay in the relationship. But if you're mm. free, right? If you can have a relationship that's more freeing in the sense of um, the, the holes are more are, are less, all of a sudden it becomes a different form of relationship where it's said like it's it's a deeper love because the the attachments with each other are are not there as they are in other relationships, and then all of a sudden you're right. you're free, and so you're there because you want to be there, not because you need to be there. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's what we're that's what that's what the goal is. Um, and you're right. These things come without seeing them coming, and they—it's the accidents in your in our lives that always uh, that always seem to be the things that really kind of define who we are. But, uh, yeah, isn't that, isn't that funny? The things that we plan never turn out as we expect them, but it's that unexpected nature of life that gives us the meaning and gives us what we're longing for. Totally, absolutely. <laughs> I feel like right. this has become uh this has become like a good therapy session for me. Thank you. <laughs> so I love talking about this stuff, you know, at the end of the day. It's uh I've learned a lot other than, you know, yeah, I'm a researcher on grief dreams, but I learned a lot about love and you know, through my own issues with myself and rela relationships. It's just, you know, like we could have had this conversation off air and uh I would have talked about it the same way. It's just these are things that are part of my life that I've learned. And if you can help someone formulate or help a new have a new perspective on it same thing with dreams right that's what i really help people do with a lot of times too is have that new perspective where it gives you that hope and it gives you that purpose that we're longing for and you're like oh wait i've just been seeing it the wrong way and now if i change that all of a sudden everything's okay and you have that fight left in you yeah. for that that positive nature right and so you don't get as low and when you do get low it's not as for long and so that's uh hmm. Yeah, so that's just my my things uh, as I as I found in my life, 
because it's not yeah. something where, you know, we, we get trained in school or even a lot of our friends or family and relationships, they just don't know it. And so you're really, you're on an island and trying to learn this stuff on your own and it's, it's difficult. So I'm just glad at the end, you know, that love does exist, which, you know, I don't have to convince you of that, right? Like, <laughs> right. So you, you know, it exists and you've even had it within your dreams. So it's just, how do you get there when you're in the waking state and how do you stay there? Mm. That's, that's right. the goal. Right. And so uh, I'm glad you're on the, the journey to, to figure that out on the, on the hunt. Yep. Yep, I am. I, I got nowhere else to be, so I'm on this journey. Yep. <laughs> and so just quickly, um, so your second book came out recently in July. And so what's, uh, tell us a little bit about that book and uh, what, what kind of response you're getting from that. That's, uh, that's sort of the 10 years after I met her book. That, that um, was born out of, like I said, that, that my trip to Australia and realizing that it didn't end when Maria died and things were, you know, it, it was, the story was still being told. I thought, um, I, I just wanted to put everything after Maria passed away. I wanted to just write about everything that I'd done on this strange and adventurous journey that I've been on putting up the play in New York and actually living with Maria's 92 year old cousin and end up taking care of her for, for a year before her, she died. And, and, um, just, traveling around the world and talking about Maria, all, all these things. And some of it's not about Maria. Some of, sometimes I have to go off and, and try and, you know, feel my way through the darkness. But, but it's, at the end of the day, it's just everything I've done since Maria has sort of, I mean, my life has sort of like inadvertently become Maria's life. It's kind of weird. So like everything I do seems to in some way connect with her. But so it's just sort of a, yeah, the accidental caregiver part two. And, um, Maybe, you know, it's just, it's like everything from, yeah, post everything from the day Maria died to, to really up until now. So maybe there'll be a part three someday, but, uh, but this is part two and, um, I love it. yeah. And it's been, yeah. And it's, uh, it's been, yeah, it's been, it's one of those books where I, I wrote it to stand on its own, but like in the beginning I say, look, readers, you know, I appreciate you being on this journey with me and. Um, to be honest, I would suggest, you know, if you haven't read part one, read part one first and then pick this up. But but it's my job as a, as a writer to make everything stand on its own. So if you read part two, you're, you're probably going to want to read part one. If you read part one, you're probably going to want to read part two. So I, I wrote this more as like, I, I just have to write like these books are not it's not like I sat down and said, all right, how can I make how can I be this famous author and and make the most amount of money and, and, and make, you know, it's just more like this is one thing in my life where I just have, I write about Maria. I don't care. I don't really care who reads it, even though, yes, of course I want people to read it, but I really don't care because this is my story of Maria. It's going to be around forever. It's going to be part of what I leave behind. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, um, so I, I, I feel like, it, you know, I, and I love hearing from people. Like I hear from random people around the world, like people that are caregivers or something that say that, reading this kind of helped them through caring for a loved one. And it kind of gave them a moment of levity and, and all that. So as long as I keep getting random emails and messages from people and being able to go on shows like this with you and talk to the interesting people, then to me, that's uh, it's been a success. So where can people find the, the books? Um, on, on Amazon. And uh, so, um, uh, this one is through uh, a Balboa Press, which is a division of, of Hay House. 
And so you, you can find the book on, uh, on the Balboa Press website, or just if you just Google the Accidental Caregiver Part 2, it, sh it should either bring you to Amazon or Balboa Press. Um, but you should be able to just Google, you know, the book and, and, and come across both of them per, per fairly easily. So. Okay, beautiful. And I'm curious, did you ever mention the grief dreams you have of her in either book? Did I mention the grief dreams what? That you had of her in any of the books? Oh, yeah, no, in, in the, uh, that, the, the book, that's the one I mentioned, because like, as I was finishing book two, which was like, like September, October of last year, I was, I had a dream of her as I was writing and, and it was a dream, another kind of dream. It was like actually where, um, actually I, I have it right here. It's, it's, uh, I was, okay. I was, I was in a building being paged. Gregor, you're needed outside. Gregor, please report to the front of the building immediately. Gregor came the loudspeaker on my sprint to the exit. People I sped by in the hallway were yelling, go, go, go. You can do it. She's waiting outside. Like I was running a marathon and I was so close, so close to the finish line. I finally made it outside and there she was, standing erect and elegant, shooting out fireballs of euphoria from her eyes, waiting for me to run to her and hug her and tell her how much I missed her and how much she missed me. I woke up crying with so much joy and gratitude. So, um, yeah, it was that it was that kind of dream, which was so fitting as I was like rounding, trying to finish the book. That was like a good, a good reminder you know, to put down finishing the book. But yeah, that was the only dream I put in, in both books. So. Ah, it's cool. I'm glad you incorporated it because that's one of the big things that we're trying to do is just raise awareness of that aspect within the grief journey and to ask the question because most people have these these dreams. So I'm glad you incorporated yeah. it. That's amazing. And uh, this has been such a, a, a beautiful conversation and you're such a beautiful soul. I got to say, like I really felt your your passion and the love you have for her, but also that you have for this life. And you know, even for your book title saying yes to a world, right? And I think that there's more to that title than I think people know, like, cause yes is all capital letters. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a lowercase yeah. yet. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I think that's yeah. motivating for me to know that there are people like you out there. They haven't found like everything yet, but they found enough to know it exists. And for me, like, wow, mm. like to, to have that in your mind, it's such a powerful thing and when there's so much pain and suffering in this world of what's still possible as, as, we, as we move forward each day. So, yeah, this has been a, such a pleasure. And I, I really hope you have that dream tonight of Maria. Oh, I, I can't wait to see. And, and by the way, I feel the same about you. I mean, you're, this is, I mean, I've talked so much about Maria these last few years. And I feel like this conversation with you was, was so was one of the best because I felt like I was talking to an equally uh, good soul and I, I just felt like so um, like we were just not even on a podcast. We were just like in a coffee shop, you know, shooting the crap about Maria. And, and uh, so I, I, I just really appreciate you having me on. And like, I think you're, you're pretty wonderful too. So thank you. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. You know, it's, it's great to hear those words. And I think because I really connect with, Maria because I there's a Maria in in my life that I've met and just it changes you right so I really connected with that aspect of your story and and finding that love within yourself it's uh it's a it's a difficult dance but it is possible so I see I see a lot of myself also in you in mm. finding finding your way and so you know I have great hope that this is in the end and you're just continuing to beam love out of your own eyes like uh, she did within that dream um, and then you're also mm. going to inspire you're going to be the Maria in other people's life 
And I think that's mm. uh, that's a really cool thought as uh, as I see you as as you move forward. Mm, I like that. I'll be the Maria in other people's lives. I like that. <laughs> That'll be your uh, part three of your book. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. So where can people right. find you? I know where they can find the books. Where can they find you? I know you have some other projects too. Where can they find that? Yeah, I, it, well, gregorcollins.com. And, and also I, I had stopped this uh, actually a few weeks ago, but I, I do this thing called Humans in My Phone that I created because um, I have a lot of interesting people in my phone. Uh, a lot of people I've met along the way that everything from poets and painters to CEOs and whatnot. And, and so I, I decided to just start this thing called human to my phone where I would shoot 60 second micro documentaries of these people and on my phone. So I would shoot it on my phone, edit it on my phone. Um, so anyway, um, there's humans on my phone.com. You can, you can meet a few of these interesting people, sort of just re- a real kind of guerrilla style, just shooting with 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 an iPhone 10 and um, natural lighting and just kind of getting at people's character and core and what kind of drives their creativity um, in 60 seconds. So. Do these humans are these humans wearing masks or no? No, well, no, no, they're not because I well I before the like the last humans in my phone I shot was actually before the pandemic. I haven't shot any during the pandemic, so these are all pre-pandemic humans <laughs> in my phone and. Uh, they're actual friends of mine. You know, you, you, the, the rule is you have to be in my phone already. I can't just mm. shoot like a random person on the street. I mean, you, we have to be friends already. So. <laughs> that's funny. That's one of the things I'm missing because everyone's wearing masks. Is that the facial expressions of people? Um, oh, gosh, I know. Yeah, it, it, it's driving me nuts. It's like because, <laughs> you, you know, the eyes are supposed to be the windows of the soul. And then when someone has a mask on, you realize... Well, it's not the case they lied. <laughs> they lied. They lied. yeah it's like the mouth is a big part of that too <laughs> the mouth is a window to the soul <laughs> yeah <laughs> doesn't sound quite as uh romantic but you know oh that's funny okay this has been great uh, and then for our stuff uh please check out our platform at griefdreams.ca for more information on the topic if you want to if you have your own grief dreams um and you want to or even you want to you want to hear others, um, people share about their grief dreams, you can join the Grief Dreams Facebook group. Or you can go on Twitter, Instagram, at Grief Dreams. And as we like to say, with love and gratitude from us to you. Introduce myself. You have introduced yourself. This is a very good conversation.